Hello, I'm Kristen and I'm a case manager at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to stay clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality care for your patients. In this edition, I'm joined by my colleague and fellow case manager, Anita, and we wanted to take this opportunity to interview Dr. Annalene Weston about a pressing change for our division, that being the ability to apply for provider numbers. As many of you will be aware, as of the 20th of June, 2022, we are now able to apply for provider numbers, which we'll then be able to utilize from 1 July with those services that accept them. That's right, Kristen. So what we want to know, Annalene, is whether having a provider number essentially increases our dental legal risk. Short answer, yes. Well, at the risk of this being the shortest podcast ever, how and what kinds of risks does having a provider number bring? Okay, Anita. So essentially, you can characterise any dental legal risk as being risks to you, risks to your patient, risks to your practice, risks to your reputation and risks to your registration. But not all of those apply here, as OHT therapists and hygienists having provider numbers doesn't cause patient risk. So the risks are more for you and potentially your reputation. Go on. So in a nutshell, a provider number is a site-specific claiming mechanism, and this enables your patients to access third-party payments, which are going to be paid on their behalf for treatment you've provided. So this can come from the health funds or Medicare benefits, and these are benefits paid to you for treatment you provide to the patient. The problem comes if the claim that you enter for that treatment, that treatment code, is deemed inappropriate by the third party who are paying the benefit. And why would you say it is inappropriate? Do you mean if the treatment wasn't provided or something like that? Well, that can be a reason, Kristen, and fraudulent claiming can and does occur. So that's claiming for treatment that you haven't actually done. But to be honest, that doesn't occur as often as those with suspicious minds might suspect. And let's be honest, having a provider number doesn't automatically open a practitioner up to suddenly having a significant moral shift and deciding it's now an excellent idea to start committing fraud. Um, It's much simpler and far more vanilla than that. A claim can be deemed inappropriate if the records do not reflect that the treatment was provided. So if the records say that it was a profi and the code is for a scale and clean, do you mean Yeah, look, that can be one aspect. And that specific one that you gave there is called upcoding. And it does have a tang of fraudulence to it. And I'm going to get to upcoding in a minute, Kristen. I wanted to start off even more basic than that. Okay, so you code a 114 on a six-year-old and your records say scale and polish. I chose a six-year-old specifically, as I think all three of us would agree that calculus isn't that common in a six-year-old when compared to, say, a 36-year-old. So essentially then, the presence of calculus should spark some sort of commentary in the records, whether that be where it was or a conversation regarding oral hygiene or just something, anything really. Otherwise, it looks like all you've done is upcode a 111 to a 114 simply to get a higher benefit. So a code would be deemed inappropriate in this case because there's no rationale or justification for the treatment in the records. So once again, it all comes down to records. Absolutely, it does. 
there need to be some records supporting the treatment that you did, how you did it and why. And these records need to be in line with the dental board guidance, which you can look up on the web page. If you don't have valid records supporting the claim, then the claim would be deemed inappropriate. Even if you've provided the treatment? Yes. Even if they've interviewed or examined the patient and saw that you had provided the treatment? Yes. The appropriateness of the claim is verified through the content of your clinical records. So if you have no records or your records don't meet the dental board standard, the fund or Medicare can just withdraw that benefit. So how does the fund or Medicare know whether your records support the claim or if the claim is appropriate when you claim it? They don't. And they don't know that when they pay it. So they pay it on faith and then they retrospectively go back and audit practitioners' notes to see if the records support the claim. So what happens if the records don't support the claim? Well, if they don't, then the health fund or Medicare, whoever that third party payment provider was, will require the owner of the provider number to pay back 100% of the benefit they received. So you mean you pay back the percentage of what you earned from that health fund benefit? No, I mean you pay back the whole benefit. But what if you're on a salary or you only get 30% of that fee? That doesn't matter in this situation. The owner of the provider number is 100% responsible for the repayment, regardless of whether the treatment was provided and regardless of how much they actually earned from that treatment. Wow, that's confronting, Anneling. Whereabouts is this all written down? Well, like much guidance across Australia, Anita, there's no one specific place where this information is held. And you'll find it across a number of documents, including the high caps agreement, the health fund terms and conditions, and also the Medicare documentation, such as the CDBS guidance. Okay, so but I feel like that if I write good notes, everything's going to be okay then, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. But this is where the kicker is. And to be clear, I'm not saying don't write good notes, definitely write good notes. The vast majority of practitioners that we see having to return funds to health funds and Medicare haven't willfully committed fraud at all. Instead, they fall into two categories, okay? So the first, as we're discussing, are those who don't have the records that are sufficient to support the claim. And of course, this is something that you as an individual, Anita or Kristen, can manage as a practitioner. You write your own records, and if they're deficient, then that's your responsibility. The second group we have, however, are not those who don't have sufficient records, but rather they're practitioners where the claim doesn't match the treatment. So they put through the wrong claim code or they upcoded? Not usually. Often the ones that we see, Kristen, it's because someone else did. Oh, I'm a bit freaked out and a little bit confused, Annalene. Who else did? Okay, so back to upcoding. Regretfully, some practitioners do upcode and round their item number up to maximize their fee and benefit. So we often see this as a 111 to a 114, a 311 to a 324, and one surface fillings being rounded up to more surfaces to get an increased benefit. Some people may say that they do this to maximize the patient's return or to cost the patient less, but the hard fact remains that the patient needs those funds to pay you. So if you want to help them out financially, there are far better ways than tinkering with their health fund rebate and potentially committing fraud to do this. What we also see are patients being charged a mandated battery of codes regardless of the treatment provided, and that's done at reception, or the codes being changed by directive at a business level to maximize how much the patient is charged. What do you mean by battery of codes? 
So that's like a group of codes that are always charged regardless. So a common battery that we'll see relates to the codes a patient's charged at their first appointment. So let's just say that at the practice, you have a new patient offer and the patient's first consultation and associated special tests are free. Now, we have seen circumstances where there's been a direction to the staff to run set codes through regardless of the actual treatment provided, say four x-ray codes on every patient or a 221 on every patient, which is fine if you've taken four x-rays and done a six point pocket chart and that treatment was required. But the problem is, Anita, not every patient needs or had four x-rays and not every patient needs or has a six point pocket chart at their first appointment. So you could legitimately be providing your care and putting in your codes and someone else could be changing them without your knowledge. Yes, we see that. And then if you're audited? Which you will be, Kristen, because the health funds have really clever software designed to identify patterns of this very nature. And this is picked up because your records don't reflect your codes and then you have to pay the money back for the inappropriate codes, even though you didn't put them in on the system. Yeah. Does this actually occur, Annalene, or is this just you being a bit scary or what if to make people take the responsibility seriously? If only I was, Anita. Um, Unfortunately, yes, this does happen and we see it with reasonable regularity. The practitioners involved are often crushed when they realised and very frightened. And we help them work with the health fund or Medicare to get the best possible outcome. But the bottom line is your provider number you are responsible for the repayment of inappropriate codes, even if you're not complicit and your records are fab. Okay, so what do we do to protect ourselves from this? It's a great question. And starting from the beginning, while we see this reasonably frequently, I want you to remember when you're listening to this that we see the ugly side of everything because of the nature of the work that we do. So this isn't something that's happening in most or even many practices and organisations Australia-wide. So in fact, your comment earlier, Kristen, was most accurate. Most practitioners come unstuck because their records are insufficient to support their claim. So you certainly can't assume that the practice or organisation that you've been happily working for for years is suddenly going off piste and starting to commit fraud under your provider number. That's crazy talk. As with many aspects of dental risk, the vulnerability often comes when you go somewhere new with people that you don't know. What things should I put into place to make sure this isn't happening? It's a great question, Anita, and I'd encourage everyone to review their claiming when they start using a provider number and uh, whenever you change a new practice too. and start that daily initially. But then once you get used to everything and everything's in order, you can calm that down, but still do regular checks. Okay, so how do I do that? And is it reasonable for me to ask the practice manager and say that I want to review the claims made under my provider number? Absolutely. I mean, for me, Anita, I just stroll out to reception and check the high caps receipts. But yes, you can be a bit more formal about it. Um, But you don't need to say, I want to check you're not committing fraud under my provider number because that's not going to make us all friends, is it? You can just say something simple like, I want to understand the claiming uh, and the rebates because this is all new to me. What if they don't let you look? I think, Kristen, in many ways, that answers the question for you about what's likely going on behind the scenes, doesn't it? So is there any other way I can check? Yeah, kind of. Um, You can see which codes have been used under Medicare, but that's not going to help with the health fund payments. So I'd be recommending strongly that you get in the habit of checking the codes with your front office staff and ensuring they match up with what you intended to claim. And of course, ensuring your records are up to scratch. So what do I do if I do find something and I'm worried about it? 
Well, first stop, call us and we'll walk you through it because the advice is going to vary on a case-to-case basis. So if I'm audited, I should automatically assume that someone's been fraudulently using my provider number? No, not at all. Many audits are actually random, but again, contact us and we'll walk you through what to do. I'm feeling a bit nauseous about all this, to be honest, and I can see why so many practitioners fall foul of this and good practitioners too. Absolutely, Kristen, it's hideous. And my best advice to everyone using provider numbers is to go steady, to be smart and check everything carefully. And of course, keep accurate contemporaneous records always. That's great advice for every situation, Annalene. And thank you for this incredibly timely and relevant content. And thank you for listening. We hope that this podcast was helpful to you and look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protections podcast and would like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.